Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Good to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. Well, um, over the last couple of weeks, we've had uh, a couple of of different uh, people bring the word to you. Two weeks ago, we had uh, Brent Deacons come from the district office and, and share a word as both Val and I were gone. And, and last week, Val brought a, a powerful message from Luke about our interior life, about what goes on in here and how that's expressed out here and yet how God wants to, to do something um, in, our, in our inner life. Today, as I preach and... Uh, as I bring the word this morning, I'm going to do something a little different than, than what I'm used to. I'm not, I'm not used to this, um, and, and I don't think I've ever preached this way before, so it's going to be kind of a, a new thing. And, and when, when I try something new, it kind of gets me out of my comfort zone a little bit, um, and so I'm just confessing that to you a little bit this morning. Um, today, I'm going to start a, a series of sermons um, that we're going to cover for the, for the next four weeks. Um, it's going to take us all the way through the end of the church year, and so after that, we'll we'll break into Advent. Advent's only four weeks away from today, which is just a little crazy, um, but it's coming, and there's no way no way to stop it. But the series that I'm going to be preaching on over the next four weeks is one that I'm going to call the Holy Life. The Holy Life. Now, if you've been around us Nazarenes for a for a while, for a bit of time. Um, you know that, that holiness is important to the Nazarene church. Uh, it's kind of a, a key foundational theology for, for uh, all of Wesleyanism, for all churches that would call themselves Wesleyan churches. Um, and, and that's kind of where we talked about this in, in uh, membership class on, on Wednesday, that, that the Nazarene tribe kind of came out of this Wesleyan strain uh, of belief and this Wesleyan strain uh, of theology. And, and the true message, the, the thought that, that we get excited about and, and that we talk about often is that God has grace for us. And that's not, that's not unusual. That's not uncommon. Everyone talks about the grace of God. If you go to any Christian church in town, they're going to say that, that God has grace for you and God wants to, to save you from your sins and, and that that's important. That God's grace redeems us, makes a way for us to, to forgive our sins. God's grace is what does that, not by our own works, not by what we try to do, not by earning it. But that's really, that's sketch theology. If, if someone's saying that, then, then I don't think they understand what God's grace is truly all about. 
But for Wesleyan folks, for people who, who are of this holiness angle, this Wesleyan way of thought, we believe that God's grace not only saves us, redeems us, washes us clean of our sin, but God's grace also wants to transform us, to make us into new people, to, to change how we live, to invite us into a new place of obedience and holiness. And, and I, someone who, who may have been paying attention is like, well, why, why haven't we talked about this, Freeberg? Why haven't we talked about being, living a holy life? Is this really what Nazarenes are all about? Why haven't you brought it up more? To that, I would say, well, we have. We have. We, we, we don't often always use the words. We don't use the word the holy life. We don't talk about holiness. I don't have to say the word holiness to be talking about the transforming work that God wants to do in our life. The holiness kind of, that word holiness kind of comes with a certain amount of weight, a certain kind of baggage, a certain kind of um, uh, trouble that you kind of have to wade through with some of the ways that it's been taught in the past. I remember talking to my stepdad uh, years ago. I was in high school, um, and, he, and he said, you know, I remember the Nazarene church in, in the little town where I grew up. All those people were the holier-than-thou people. And I went, ew. That's not how we want to come across. That's not what holiness is. That's not what God is calling us to. That's not a transformed life if that's how we come across. But I'll tell you, all year long, we've been talking about living a holy life. This theme, not so with you, is the invitation of Jesus Christ to live a transformed life, to live differently than, than what we might naturally fall into what we might think as normal or the way the world lives. Jesus says, not so with you. So I've kind of been talking about it all year long, just haven't been using the words. But for these four weeks, we're going to talk about the holy life. We're going to use that word. And as we start out uh, on this journey talking about the holy life, I wanted to start really simple, really basic, really foundational. And the title for today's message is, The Holy Life is Possible. It is possible. Because I know when I talk about holy, when I talk about holiness, when I say that God is calling us to this new life, some of you are like, I don't know, preacher. I don't know, that's tough. Sounds tough, it is tough. I got a ways to go. And one of the first things that I want to say as I talk about the holy life, it is possible that Christ doesn't call us to something that he doesn't provide a way for us to walk into. And so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, as we turn to the scripture, we're going to open up to the book of Romans. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open up to Romans chapter 6. If you have a device that has the scriptures on it, you can point it there uh, as, as you follow along. Um, today, reading from the Common English Bible, I'm going to read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Out of reverence for the reading of God's word, those who are willing and able, would you please stand as we read together from Romans chapter 6. So what are we going to say? 
Should we continue sinning so grace will multiply? Absolutely not. All of us died to sin. How can we still live in it? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we can walk in newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. This is how we know. The person that, that we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once and for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. So then, don't let sin rule in your your body. Don't let sin rule your body so that you do what it wants. Don't offer parts of your body to sin to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, present yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do right. Sin will have no power over you because you aren't under law, but under grace. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. I have three questions to start off today. It's kind of one of those survey questions, and you can choose to answer or you can choose to not answer. Uh, There might be some benefit if you don't answer because it might be a little revealing if you do, but that's okay because my answer to this is probably yes on all three of this, all three of these questions. Do we have any stubborn people in church today? Okay. Do we have any strong-willed kids in church today, young or old, young or old, yes, um, any competitive people in church today? Okay, I'm, I'm, among, I'm among friends. Sit down, Xander. Um, it's true. <laughs> when you swirl all of these three ingredients together, what in the world do you get? What kind of person do you get when you swirl all three of these together? Let me tell you how to motivate. I'm not sure what the answer is. I know that those qualities may live in me a little bit. Um, but what I can tell you is, how do you motivate a person like this? Just say two words. Oh, that's impossible. Oh, that's impossible. And, and, every, and, and the stubborn people go, hmm? The strong-willed person's like, don't tell me what's impossible. The competitive people say, hmm? I want to be the first. I want to be the first, right? Uh, There's no way you could do that. There's no chance that, that that's getting done. And it's those people that, that kind of perk up, that kind of put their shoulders back and stick out their chest a little bit and say, want to bet? Want to bet? That's how a bunch of people, though, treat the holy life. 
They say, ah, that's too hard. You say that word holy, and, and, and that creates distance. I'm like, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to step into that. That doesn't seem real possible. And when we talk about the holy life, when we talk about living as Christ wants us to live, there's a whole, there's a whole stream of, of Christian theology that treats sin differently than we do. That's, that's almost a little fatalistic about sin. And some of you have been taught it, some of you believe it, and some of you I won't convince otherwise, and that's okay. We can still be friends, I can still actually even be your pastor, even if, if, you don't, if you're not ready to, to jump here with me. But, but this teaching goes something a little bit like this. I am bound to sin every day in multiple ways, in thought, in word, or in, and or in actions. It's inevitable. It's inevitable that I'm going to sin that there's no getting around it, that, that that's just the way it is. And, and it's a real popular thought. It's a thought that, that has seeped into a lot of Nazarene churches and, and Nazarene Sunday school classes, and yet it doesn't really reflect the hopeful theology that we have. And, and there are plenty of, of good Christian, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches that would say that and that would teach that. But that's just not what Wesleyans teach. And, and as your pastor, I, I want to stand before you, and, and I hope I've communicated this, and I've tried to say this often, that there are, there are lots of, of churches around town and, and around this world teaching other things than what we would teach and, and presenting faith in a way that's different than ours. And I would never want to attack them. I would never want to, to say that they're wrong or out of place. But what I do want to say is that what we teach is a hopeful message. It's a beautiful, hopeful message that we don't have to live in bondage of sin. We don't have to live under that weight that each and every day I'm, I'm bound and destined and determined to sin this day. Romans 6 is one of those passages that, that leans towards a different understanding, leans towards a theology that says you can have victory over sin in your life. As we look to, to Romans, it's a, it's a letter to a, a church, a letter generally and most commonly attributed to Paul writing to a church that he had set up and established in the big city of Rome. And so Romans chapter 5, the, the chapter right before, kind of concludes with how sin is this opportunity for God's grace to shine. That, that when we sin, God's grace can break into that situation. God's grace can overflow and say, there's grace and forgiveness for you. And so we come to chapter 6, and the, and the author starts off and says, so, so what should we do? Should we just sin so, so God's grace can be multiplied, so God's grace can shine more and more? Shouldn't we sin so that grace can be more prevalent, more apparent? <laughs> Isn't every sin an opportunity to experience the grace of God, so maybe we should sin more? And Paul's like, uh, no. See, that, that, that's not a good plan. That's not how we want to live. That's not how we ought to move forward. And yet sometimes, 
we can get there. Sometimes that, that can almost be our attitude. Sometimes this idea that sin is inevitable, sin is so strong and so prevalent that we can't avoid it. But Paul says no. Paul says, no, that's not, how we, that's not how we have to live. Instead, we want to die to sin. And Paul here uses the imagery of baptism. That we die to that sin in baptism. Now, um, we talk in baptism class uh, about how in the Church of Nazarene, there's several modes of baptism that, that people can use and that we honor um, some by pouring, some by sprinkling. The one that's probably the most common, though, and, and that we use most common is immersion, right? Where, where you're dipped under the water in baptism. And, and as you go down under the water, you are in a state of being where you cannot survive for very long. Pastors aren't supposed to get creative in that moment, right? This is not a chance to teach a lesson. This is not... A person is in peril. Unable to breathe. For those that go under the water, they in that moment, we're, we're standing in solidarity. We're accepting the death of Christ. That when he was crucified and his life was taken, when he sacrificed his life, we're identifying ourselves with that moment. We die. For we cannot live under that water. But what we die to, according to this passage, is not life. What we die to is not life, but what we die to is sin. And Paul just has this rich explanation here that, that when we're baptized, we are baptized with Christ. When we're baptized, we're, we're baptized with Christ and buried with Christ. When we're baptized, we're buried with Christ so that in coming up out of that water, we are resurrected with Christ. Amen? And we get to walk in this new life. Our crucifixion isn't the death of our life, but it's the death of our old way of living. It's the death of sin in our life. Paul says this, get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. The invitation to Paul is not, oh, we'll take care of that sin problem someday. The invitation from Paul is not, oh yeah, you, you've got this sin thing, you're just going to struggle with it all your life, and, and man, I, I just gut it out, you can do it. The message from Paul is that you can be freed from sin's power in your life today. In your life today that you don't have to wait. And that whole concept of the whole theology of, of sinning every day, that, that we're bound by sin, that it's hopeless, there's no, there's no changing it. That's offering sin an awful lot of power, right? It's like yielding, it's like surrendering. Okay, sin, you win. I give up. I'm destined 
yielding to the destiny that we're going to sin every day is not living into the life that Christ invites us to and that Paul invites us to here in chapter 6. Paul seems to say death in, in baptism is, is death to sin. Dying with Christ in baptism strips death of its power. But it goes further than that. It's not just that we no longer have to be afraid of death. That is an outcome of the saving grace, the saving work of God in our lives. We don't have to be afraid of the power of death. But it goes further than that. The writer says, don't let sin rule in this body that you've been given. In this life that you live, sin doesn't have to have the final word. We don't have to give in to it. And we teach that, that you don't have to give in, that you don't have to let sin rule, that you don't have to offer the parts of your body to sin. That's good news, church. That's good news. That Paul is saying we can allow Christ to rule in our bodies and not sin. This is one of the things that I love about our church. This is one of the things that I love about what we teach. We believe that it's possible to live like Romans talks about, to live like this chapter speaks about that it's possible, that the journey of living with Christ is a return back to who we were meant to be. Way back in the first part of the Bible, God created a garden, right? And put people in that garden who, who lived there and who weren't controlled, who didn't live every day subject to sin and to its power. And the journey of living with Christ is a return back to the person that we were meant to be in those early days, one where sin did not rule. Living with Christ is a journey to who we were supposed to be, the way that God made us, a return back to Eden. A return back to a life that's no longer controlled by sin. We believe that God wants us to invite him into our hearts and lives, yes. If the holy life is, is learning to, to take Paul at his word here in chapter 6, um, then, then we have work to do. Yeah, we, we've invited Jesus into our lives, but a lot of us have habits and hang-ups, right? We're plagued by falling into some of the old, old patterns. We struggle. We go back and forth. I know that's how life was and is at times for me. And it's in a chapter later, in chapter 7, where, where Paul goes, goes into that struggle. He kind of goes a little crazy in chapter 7. Uh, do you remember this chapter? He says, you know, I, 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 I do not do the good I want to do. Instead, I do the, the things I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I can't keep doing. And the things I don't want to do, these are the things I keep on doing. It's a little crazy. It's a little difficult to follow. 
Why is this? Why, why would Paul end up in chapter 7 talking about all of these things? I believe he talks about it because he believes that the holy life is possible. That the holy life is possible, that we can live in obedience to God. That we don't have to, to struggle. We don't have to, to, to daily fight and daily surrender to sin, saying, well, it, it's just kind of, it's inevitable. We don't have to live that way. We believe that living a holy life is possible. We've been talking about it all year long. What has it sounded like? It sounded like the words of Jesus in our ears, saying, not so with you. It's been this invitation from Jesus, not so with you, that, that when we invite Christ into our lives, we don't have to live in limbo, swapping back and forth, going this way, going that way, in this in-between place between loving Jesus but being defeated by sin every moment, every day. Instead, we can live the way that Paul invites us to live. We'll be talking about that for the next few weeks. We'll be inviting ourselves and, and on this journey toward what it means to live a holy life. And I, and I hope as we do that, to, to, that we can offer some, some insight into, into what that looks like and, and how that feels and what that is all about. But as we start out, I just want to share with you this one instance. This one instance of a biblical writer who so clearly and so plainly says that sin doesn't have to have the last word in your life. That you don't have to be in this constant struggle, constant losing battle every day. Oh, I'm bound to sin again today. I'm bound to sin. So God's grace, yay for God's grace. Let's glorify it one more time. Paul says, absolutely not. That's not how we have to live. It is possible. You can do it. We can do it. Not by trying harder, not by wanting it more, putting in more effort. Oh, I just got to try harder today. But by surrender by following Jesus when he invites us, not so with you, but to follow the invitation of Christ is allowing the Spirit to lead and to guide your life. We will never become perfect. Our actions will never become perfect, like we'll, the, we'll never make mistakes. Instead, the Spirit of God invites us to perfecting our love that we have for the people around us, for the world, for ourselves, for our neighbors. God's love perfected in us by the guidance of the Holy Spirit transforms our lives into a holy life when we allow God's Spirit to work inside of us. That, my friends, is really, really good news. Amen?
we're all on a journey. The journey doesn't stop. It's not like we get to a point and it's done. We continue to follow the invitation of Jesus. Not so with us. As we close today, we're going to offer a chance to, to take communion. I'm going to invite the praise team and those who are prepared uh, to serve to come on forward today. Val, would you come up and, and distribute elements for the servers? That'd be great. Today, is, as we celebrate communion in the Church of the Nazarene, we participate in what's called um, open communion. And, and in open communion, we say that for anyone who started this walk with Christ or anyone who, who wants to, to start this journey with Christ is, is invited to participate with us today. And in a room this size with a gathering of this many people, it's likely there are people here who haven't made that step, who haven't said, I want to follow Christ in my life. Today's a chance to do that. As you receive the communion elements, today is a chance to do that. But there are others in this room that are constantly struggling with that battle against sin. Who every day know what God is calling them to and know where, where Christ is leading them and yet struggle. Struggle to obey. And today, maybe as you come forward, the invitation is to pray a prayer like this. Today, like Paul talks about, I want to die to sin. I don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't know how to do it. But today, that is my true desire. That is what I want in my life. If that's your desire today, I, I suggest you make that your prayer. Your commitment today is, as you participate in communion. Say a prayer before you come forward that says, I, I don't want to live in sin. I don't want to struggle with it every day. Instead, I, I give what I have and what I am over to you. I'm completely yours. As you come and participate in the Eucharist today, make that your prayer. And maybe you want to just take some time at, at an altar and pray or, or even in your seat and pray. Just make that commitment today. As you come forward to one of the three stations that we have, um, like we've done here for the last little bit, there's two ways to partake of communion. If you prefer the prepackaged elements, you can go to the person holding juice. Just take one of those um, cups that have both the wafer and the juice, and you can return to your seat and partake of the elements there if you're comfortable with it and want to come forward. Um, and just hold out, extend your hands. The person with the bread will place a piece of bread uh, that is gluten-free for those of you that have sensitivities. You can take that bread, dip it in the juice, and just partake of the elements there. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he and his disciples were, were celebrating the Passover meal. And they had come together in what would be eventually be called the upper room. And as they came together, there was this, this very common script this order of the way the Passover meal was celebrated and Jesus took liberty and he changed it. In the middle of the meal he took bread and he broke it. After giving thanks he gave it to his disciples and said, This bread represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you share this meal, do so in remembrance of me. Likewise after the meal he took 
cup, gave thanks for it, and shared it with his disciples, saying this drink is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many. As often as you participate in this meal, do so in remembrance of me. It is in that remembrance today that we take the bread and we take the drink and participate in communion today. Let me pray for us and then we'll participate together. Lord, thank you for today, for the chance to be called your your children. And I pray today that we would take seriously the words of Paul in Romans 6, that we can die to sin, that we can live a holy life, that it is possible. We thank you for the chance to worship today and the chance to participate with our brothers and sisters in this moment. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us to a new way of living, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The table is set. The invitation is given. Come and dine. We've said these words all year long, the words of Jesus to his disciples. Not so with you. Today we're reminded this is our call. This is our, the, the invitation from Christ to live a holy life to you and to me today. Thanks be to God. As I offer a benediction today, for those who are willing and able, I invite you to stand. We have a tradition of kind of extending our, our hands out to, to, as a physical reminder that we receive this prayer of benediction today. As we go out into the world, this is the benediction that we receive Lord, your call to live in a way that is extraordinary, a little different than the world, has always been a call to live a holy life. May our lives reflect and resemble that this week, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, You're invited to go in the love of Christ today. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.